0: This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on iTunes.Villanova.edu. This talk is the end of what has been a very enjoyable two-day visit to your community, and I I want to thank Barbara Wall and all those who had a hand in inviting me here Uh, and to thank you for the hospitality you've shown during this visit. Uh, As I said last night to the people who attended the Gianella lecture that I gave there. Villanova has long been a place that I have a great fondness uh, for, both for its contributions to dialogue about Catholic social thought uh, and about how Catholicism affects our views of law and public policy, and also for the personal relationships I've made with members of your community. So it really has been a delight to be here, and I thank you. The, the subject of, of Catholic social thought and just wage is a support of the larger question of what is a moral or a just economy and what's the role of the government in securing that just economy. And, and it's a particularly timely piece of that picture to be considering today, uh, both in the wake of Pope Francis's recent indictment of what he termed an economy of exclusion and inequality in his recent (laughs) apostolic exhortation and as we listen to our federal leaders debate the merits of increasing the federal minimum wage. It's also a particularly important part of the broader discussion of what is a just economy given the plight of American workers today. Um, The United States has the largest percentage of low-wage workers in the world. Uh, Many employers take advantage of their ability to pay workers as little as the market will allow, with the result that in 2011, 10.4 million Americans were so-called working poor. That is, people who spent 27 or more weeks of the year in the labor force, but whose income still fell below the official poverty line. Um, Many people working full-time jobs and or working two or three jobs nonetheless lack money to meet the basic needs of them and their families. Even many who can meet their basic needs literally live one emergency away from complete financial chaos. Uh, Americans overwhelmingly agree, said President Obama in his State of the Union address this past January, that no one who works full-time should have to raise a family in poverty, and yet they do, um, and, not, and not for lack of trying. Um, contrary to popular depictions of welfare queens left over from earlier discussions of welfare reform, low-wage workers work incredibly hard in order to find and keep their jobs. Many low-wage workers juggle multiple jobs, piece together childcare as they can, They work asocial hours, that is nights and weekends, to provide and care for their families. Um, We still in this country have this notion that all people have to do is work hard and they can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. The plight of the working poor demonstrates how cruelly wrong that notion is. It's not only the case that 10.4 million represents a rise in the number of working poor, but it also reflects a large and growing income disparity in this country. The top 20% of Americans receive almost half of all income, while those in the bottom 20% receive less than 5%. The top 1% earn more than the bottom 50%. And income inequality in the United States is getting worse, not better. The plight of low-wage workers is aggravated by a number of things. Um, First, low-wage jobs are often characterized by schedule instability. Um, That is, low-wage workers often cannot depend on a reliable number of hours that they can work from week to week with the result that they're constantly trying to piece together. Uh, inadequate income from multiple jobs. Um, Second, in addition to low wages, many low-wage workers uh, lack benefits in the form of health care, pension, and sick leave. Um, The Affordable Care Act is obviously designed to address the problem of health care. Whether it successfully will do so is a different question, but there's no question that we're facing a retirement crisis in this country and that many people, not simply those we label low-wage workers uh, will suffer from lack of adequate retirement income. And lack of sick leave um, remains an issue for many low-wage workers. Third, the situation is aggravated by various forms of wage theft. Um, Failure to pay overtime, employee misclassification, minimum wage violations, forcing employees to work off the clock, illegal deductions from pay, not being paid at all. Uh, For example, according to Interfaith Worker Justice, 80% of the workers who come into their centers for help are victims of wage theft. Um, And just in the last few weeks, seven lawsuits were filed against McDonald's and a number of its franchisees in California, Michigan, and New York for a variety of violations, failure to pay minimum wage and overtime, um, not providing employees with meal periods and break, mandatory unpaid work and the like. And, and I mentioned this last as a reminder that it's not enough to talk about legal changes without putting energy into enforcement of laws and, and I teach at St. Thomas I teach employment law and pension and employee benefits and I often remind my students that conferring rights um, doesn't actually give people a whole lot unless we also give them the ability to meaningfully enforce those rights at the same time that the plight of low-wage workers is getting worse attacks on efforts to improve their situation have been rising Um, These take the forms of attacks on unions as well as actions designed to thwart efforts by local governments to provide workers with security, such as actions by the governors of some states to prevent localities from implementing paid sick leave programs. To me, all of this suggests a system in need of change. Um, The question is, does Catholic social thought help? Um, and I want to divide my remarks into three areas, to, to first first talk a little bit about what Catholic thought teaches about the issue of wages. Um, second, to mention some factors that I think inhibit the church's ability to vigorously and effectively promote its teachings in this area. But finally, to talk about why notwithstanding those limitations, Catholic thought has and can continue to make important contributions to achieving justice in this area. Significant aspects of the employer-employee relationship are governed by private ordering. Um, When it comes to compensation, apart from minimum requirements, such as minimum wage, uh, prohibiting employers from discriminating against protected groups, um, most recently imposing requirements with respect to family leave and medical coverage, Um, The law in large respects allows employers and employees to bargain freely over the elements of compensation. Um, We largely treat employers and employees as owing each other only those obligations that arise by virtue of contract. Um, That obviously encourages a kind of opportunism by both employers and employees. From the employer side, the idea is get as much work as I can from people. For as little remuneration as possible. And from the employee side, work as little I can, uh, for as much money as possible. And Catholic social thought invites us to think very differently about the employer employee relationship. Um, as Barbara suggested, labor themes have occupied an important part of the church's teaching um, for a long time. I mean, many people date it to Rerum Navarum, but as she said, it goes back far deeper um, than that. The starting point of the church's teaching on just wage is the principle of the inviolable dignity of the human person. Um, The idea that each person, regardless of race, sex, age, national origin, sexual orientation, employment or economic status, or any other characteristics, that each person has a dignity and is worthy of respect. Um, Indeed, as the compendium of the social doctrine of the church asserts, a just society can become a reality only when it is based on the respect of the transcendent dignity of the human person. Um, and it, as many of you are aware that, that the basis for asserting that dignity of the human person is our creation in the image of God. And the fact that we each possess that dignity by virtue of the imago dei means that each person possesses an intrinsic worth and must be treated as an end, um, not merely as an instrument for the benefit of others and society. Um, also grounding, thinking about just wages, the understanding that God created the earth for the sustenance of all of his children. Um, that all of us have an inherent claim on the bounty of nature. Um, something we often speak about um, under the notion of a universal destination of goods. Finally, and I think particularly importantly for the context of employer-employee relations, Catholic social thought invites a covenant model of human relationships. Uh, a model that has a direct impact on how we conceive of the employment relationship. The model of covenant proceeds from a communal vision of the human person. Um, from the perspective of Catholic thought, human life is fulfilled in communion with others and with God. Um, in the first instance, that covenant model derives from our relationship with God. It Covenant permeates the relationship between God and humans. Think God's covenant with Noah after the flood, God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants, uh, the covenant between God and Israel on Mount Sinai, and so on. Um, But then that covenant relationship between God and humans becomes the paradigm for all human relationship. Uh, Walter Brueggemann talks about the post-Exodus command of God through Moses that all debts be cancelled and forgiven after six years as in his words a remarkable cornerstone for a vision of a covenant neighborly economics. So covenant expresses not only our inherent relationship with God um, but the inherent relationship of all human persons. Um, That's sometimes expressed in Catholic social thought as the principle of solidarity. Uh, which recognizes that a basic element of our human existence is interdependence, that living as human beings means living in community. The covenant model is one of obligation and continued loyalty. Thomas Massaro suggests, to invoke the virtue of solidarity as a central value of ethical life is to call new attention to the relations among individuals. In order to be truly morally good these relationships must be characterized by mutual concern for the well-being of others and by a willingness to make necessary sacrifices for the common good of the human community as a whole. And when we talk here about obligations, we're talking about obligations that inhere in our relationship as human persons that do not depend on contract. Um, covenant implies that respect mutuality and love are obligations that arise by virtue of our being human and living in relationship with each other. They do not arise by contract. And together, all of these thoughts give rise to the idea that those who work have a right to receive a just wage. Um, And as Barbara's comments at the outset suggest, what that means has has been expressed in a variety of ways. Um, John Ryan, who was one of the early Um, people who argued on the basis of Catholic thought for a just wage, um, grounding his argument on the dignity of personality, argued that a worker has a right to at least a decent livelihood. That is a right to so much of the requisites of sustenance as will enable them to live in a manner worthy of a human being. Um, He writes, why is it wrong and unjust to kill or maim an innocent man? Because human life and the human person possess intrinsic worth, worth because personality is sacred. But the intrinsic worth and sacredness of personality implies something more than the security of life and limb and the material means of bare existence. The man who is not provided with the requisite of normal health, efficiency, and contentment lives a maimed life, not a reasonable life. His physical condition is not worthy of a human being. Furthermore, man's personal dignity demands not merely the conditions of reasonable physical existence, but the opportunity of pursuing self-perfection through the harmonious development of all his faculties. If he is deprived of these opportunities, he cannot realize the potentialities of his nature, nor attain its divinely appointed end. Failing to provide a worker with a a living wage in Ryan's thought condemns him to a maimed life. Um, Pope John XXIII spoke in a similar manner of the need to provide a wage that allows people to live a human life and fulfill obligations in a worthy manner. Um, these formulations, by the way, although we speak of them in, in Catholic terms, are not dissimilar from what the United States Declaration of Human Rights uh, describes as a living wage. In Article 27, it says, everyone has the right to a standard of living adequate for the health and well-being of himself and his family, including food, clothing, housing, and medical care, and necessary social services, and the right to security in the event of unemployment, sickness, disability, widowhood, old age, or other lack of livelihood beyond his control. So these various formulations of what is a just wage um, differ in some minor respects, but, but several things flow from all of them. First. As the formulation suggests, a just wage is not just about the ability to physically exist, um, but it's an expression of the moral imperative to respect, encourage, and facilitate the human person's ability to become fully human and therefore fully receptive to the divine. It's a wage that permits the flourishing of the human person, not simply their mere existence. Um, And I think implicit in that is that it's not sufficient to frame the goal of living wage merely in terms of a reduction in poverty, Um, particularly if we think of poverty in terms of the federal poverty guidelines. In 2013, the federal poverty level for a family of four was $23,550, less than $2,000 a month, Um, and that just isn't a whole lot to support a family of of four. And framing the goal in terms of reduction of poverty might suggest that bare subsistence is enough. Um, And that's clearly not sufficient from the standpoint of Catholic teaching. Also implicit in what I said is that the current federal minimum wage is not sufficient to address the need to provide workers with a livable wage. Uh, The minimum wage has been called a death wage, um, even with recent um, increases. Even wages above the minimum wage in this country do not meet a standard for a living wage um, and leave people always on the edge of homelessness and poor health. So whatever whatever the poverty level here, the point that I'm making is simply that the concern is not simply paying people enough so that we don't label them poor. Uh, It's about wages that reflect the dignity of work and the dignity of the human person, wages that allow the human person to flourish. Um, And given the concern of Catholic thought about the family, I think we need to add that a just wage must provide a secure economic footing uh, with which to promote childbearing. Um, A living wage has to be um, sufficient um, to meet family obligations. So that's the first point, that it's not just about physical existence and poverty. Um, The second is that the market simply cannot be the final determinant of wages. Um, Free market economists enthusiastically posit that wages and working conditions are fixed by competition between employers and employees, and a fair wage is one that's agreed to Between employers and employees in the open market. Um, And in simplest terms, the idea is that competition among employers for employees will inevitably lead to fair conditions and uh, fair wages and working conditions because the employee can choose from various options and therefore choose the one that's of the greatest benefit. Um, I don't have a degree in economics, but I don't think it takes a degree in economics to see the problem with that analysis. um, Because employers and employees simply don't start out on equal footing. Employees, particularly low-wage employees, and particularly employees in a tight job market, are lucky to have one job offer um, on the table, let alone competing offers that they can can choose from. And employees, particularly low-income employees, can't afford to wait around. Um, for a better offer if they don't like the one that's been given. The situations obviously worse in periods of high unemployment. Uh, employers respond to the advent of new technologies or the need to increase profits by laying off employees, creating even greater con- competition among employees for existing jobs, allowing employers to pay even less for those workers. It's um, so the idea that wages workers end up accepting can be labeled a fair wage simply by virtue of the fact they've chosen to work at that wage is a fiction. And I, it's true, and I'm not saying that Catholic so, social thought is opposed to a market system. And clearly, Catholic social thought um, is not opposed to a market system and has respect for private property, but it doesn't accept either of those as absolute. Um, with respect to the market, as early as 1931, in quadrigesimo anno, Pope Pius XI warned that free competition and especially economic domination must be kept within definite and proper bounds and that an excessive focus on profits and competition leads to great injustice and fraud. Pope John XXIII in Matere Magistra wrote that it was his duty to reaffirm that the remuneration of work is not something that can be left to the law of the marketplace, nor should it be a decision left to the will of the more powerful. It must be determined in accordance with justice and equity, which means that workers must be paid a wage, which allows them to live a truly human life and to fulfill fulfill their family obligations in a worthy manner. Um, With respect to private property, from the perspective of Catholic social thought, property rights are constrained by the principle of stewardship. At the same time that Pope Leo XIII was vigorous in his defense of private property in Rerum Novarum, He recognized that there are limits on how one may use that private property. Quoted to Thomas Aquinas' words, that man should not consider his outward possessions as his own, but as common to all. And warning that those who received a larger share of blessings from the divine bounty receive them for the purpose of their own perfection and the benefit of others. So while property may be held privately, it's held under a social mortgage. Um, That means it has an intrinsically social function. Or as Saint Vincent put it in simpler terms, if we have more than we need, we're stealing from the poor. Pope Francis in his recent apostolic exhortation, I think spoke eloquently on this theme, writing, solidarity is a spontaneous reaction by those who recognize that the social function of property and the universal destination of goods are realities which come before private property. The private ownership of goods is justified by the need to protect and increase them so they can better serve the common good. For this reason, solidarity must be lived as the decision to restore to the poor what belongs to them. The, I think the final implication from the things that I have said is that although the concern of Catholic social thought is one of adequacy of wages, um, which is not necessarily a question of relative wages. I don't think we can completely ignore the vast income inequality that exists in the United States. Um, th- there's no question, as I say, that, that the primary concern of Catholic social teaching on just wage is adequacy. Um, workers do not have a claim beyond what they need for this self-development, beyond what they need to live in a manner worthy of a human being. Having said that, Um, I think there's at least a question whether a wage structure with as great a level of inequality as exists in the United States supports the common good. Um, This country has seen a dramatic rise in income inequality, with inequality as large as it has been since the 1920s. On the one hand, I don't think it's hard to make arguments that gross income inequality is antithetical to the common good. Um, although I recognize that some may argue that there are circumstances where inequality aids the common good. Um, we don't really need to resolve that issue for purposes of a just wage. But but I do think it's it's worth at least a side note that we, that we need to think about income inequality when we're thinking about this subject. There's obviously a lot of room to debate the best means of addressing the fact that so many workers um, who work full-time can't make a just wage, um, don't make enough to allow them to flourish as human persons. And that includes a robust debate about the role of the law in securing just wages for workers. Um, Should we increase the minimum wage? Um, Economists and others debate whether increasing the minimum wage will have a positive effect, some suggest increasing the minimum wage will hurt some workers, um, but overall does more harm than good because it creates unemployment and places undue burden on small businesses. Other argues, uh, others argue that the displacement effects are small, drawing on evidence that local living wage ordinances have not increased Unemployment, and on that one, we could play all day. Here's my source against your source, um, and find people coming to different conclusions. You know, would it be better to leave the minimum wage where it is and expand the earned income tax credit? Again, substantial disagreement about whether increases in the minimum wage or an expansion of the earned income tax credit is a better way to address poverty um, in the United States. Um, Catholic social thought does not purport to trump any of this debate. Um, it makes no claim to providing a clear definitive answer as to how to secure a more just wage for workers. And I hope you didn't come here today thinking I was gonna give you, here's what um, how Catholic thought gives us the final um, blueprint. Um, indeed, as in so many other areas, there is dispute about how Catholic teaching translates into particular positions of law and public policy. Um, For example, while Catholic teaching is often cited in support of increasing the minimum wage, others argue that that approach is inconsistent with Catholic thought. So it doesn't give us a blueprint for an answer, but I think what, what Catholic social thought contributes here is several things. First, it tells us that addressing this issue is not optional. Uh, the worker's right to adjust wage is non-negotiable. It is unalterable. So we don't get to shake our heads at the enormity of the problem, throw up our hands and say, okay, this is too hard, so um, we'll just forget about it and go have a drink and you know, have a good evening. Um, human dignity is at stake and we have to be part of the solution. And so how we deal with the problem is a matter of practical judgment. That we deal with it is required. And I would add that the requirement is that we deal with it meaningfully. Um, And I say that because I've heard people say, well, you know, the real problem here is lack of education. And so if we improve education, then at some point workers will be able to demand higher paying jobs. I don't dispute that education is part of the problem. But if the suggestion is we should just kind of sit back and do nothing with the hope that in a generation or so, we'll have improved education enough to improve the wage situation, I don't think that suggestion is an acceptable one. Um, Second, Catholic social thought tells us that the goal is simply, as I suggested already, broader than simply reducing poverty. Um, Much of the discussion and evaluation of various approaches takes poverty reduction as the goal. And as my earlier comments suggested, Catholic thought is concerned with something more, the dignity of work and of workers and the promotion of the family. Um, so, so Catholic thought, I think, then gives us a broader lens through which to look at that issue. And finally, third, Catholic social thought offers us a set of principles by which to evaluate proposed efforts. Um, principle of human dignity, principle of the common good, principle of solidarity and also the principle of subsidiarity, one I haven't yet um, mentioned before. Um, As explained by the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith in its instruction on Christian freedom and liberation, uh, the principle of solidarity is stated to mean that neither the state nor any society must ever substitute itself for the initiative and responsibility of individuals and of intermediate communities at the level on which they can function, nor must they take away the room necessary for their freedom and subsidiarity expresses a preference for addressing social needs at the lowest possible level, um, while still acknowledging that the government has a role. Um, And so Catholic thought would say, well, the obligation to pay a just wage primarily falls, first and primarily, uh, falls on the employer as the one who reaps the benefits of the worker's labor, but acknowledge that the state is obliged to enact laws that will better enable workers to obtain a living wage, and that when the reality is that workers cannot pay that wage, uh, social justice still applies. and that means there is a role for the state in changing the situation. And I think subsidiarity is is importantly implicated in how we think about these issues. and and as I said, the point is not how we apply them. Um, people who think and write about issues of social Catholic social thought and the law disagree. Um, about the particular answers the principles lead to, Um, but what Catholic social thought challenges um, is an approach that looks only at numbers and costs and requires that we think in deeper terms. As as what I've said suggests, um, Catholic teaching on labor and just wage is robust and clear. And as we already said, hardly a new teaching And that raises the question, if the Catholic Church has been talking about economic justice and wages for so many years, um, why are workers still not receiving a just wage? And and there's doubtless a number of reasons that contribute to that reality. And the pertinent question that I reflected on for this purpose is, why doesn't Catholic teaching on this issue hold more sway? Um, Or as I might more colloquially put it, does anyone care what the Catholic Church has to say about just wages? Um, because obviously not a whole lot of value in putting a lot of effort into talking about this if no one's going to care about it. Um, I think there are several factors that inhibit both the teaching authority of the church generally and this area of just wages and employer-employee relations specifically. Um, First, we live in a largely secular and pluralist society. In his address to the Catholic Campus Ministry Association in 2013, Archbishop Chaput observed that over the past five decades, we've moved from a culture permeated by religious faith to a culture that seems increasingly indifferent or cynical toward religions in general and Christianity in particular. And that means it doesn't work to simply say, well, here's what Catholicism teaches and expect people to implement it. Instead, we have to make a persuasive case to people who do not look to the Catholic Church as a binding source of teaching authority on matters of politics and economics. And I have to say that that's a group today that does not just include non-Catholics, but many Catholics as well. One commentator suggested that Catholic laymen and women do not consider the bishops as their leaders in political and economic matters. Catholic laymen, women, and men look up to their bishops in spiritual matters and look up to politicians and businessmen in political and economic matters. And in a whole host of areas, um, this one included, I think the church has not done as good a job as it could in helping people understand why its position is one that ought to be accepted. Making that effective case is challenging, both because of the erosion of the moral authority of the church in the United States, because of the sex abuse crisis and financial improprieties, and because of politics. Um, It's also the case that the Catholic Church in the United States has in many ways become so aligned um, in the eyes of many with the Republican Party um, in this country that it's difficult for it to get traction with those who would be more sympathetic to the claims of Catholic social thought in the economic area. Um, the reaction of many people, uh, including non-Catholics, to Pope Francis and his commitment to the marginalized hopefully will have some positive effect here. The second is the question of how effective can Catholic social teaching be as a guide to the behavior of others if the Catholic Church and other Catholic entities in their capacity as employers do not practice what the church teaches about the rights of workers. Um, Do as I say, not as I do may work when uttered by a parent to a child, although even there, I tell you from experience, it's not always that effective. Um, Modeling makes a difference, And and let me just give a couple of examples of things that might cause the public to question how seriously the church takes its own teachings. Um, First, to start with a subject about which I wrote not long ago, um, opposition by Catholic colleges and universities to efforts by adjunct faculty to organize. Um, Maybe not at Villanova, but as a general matter, adjunct professors are treated notoriously badly by colleges and universities. In an effort to cut the cost associated with full-time tenure track positions, schools hire cadres of adjuncts. They receive small salaries, they receive no benefits, they have no assurance from one semester to the next of whether and how many courses they'll teach, they tend to get the worst schedules, they are viewed as someone to fill a slot, not as a respected faculty colleague. And in contrast to the situation in law schools, where you know in in law schools, adjunct professors tend to be lawyers uh, who are just teaching a course because they think it's kind of fun um, to do it. And they don't care if you give them anything. But adjuncts for undergraduate courses tend to be people who want to be full-time teachers and need the income. Um, And the sad truth is that Catholic colleges are no less guilty of this shabby treatment than their secular counterparts. Adjunct professors have tried to improve their situations by seeking to organize and efforts to organize at Catholic colleges and universities have been met by a claim that such entities are exempt from the National Labor Relations Act and therefore under no obligation to bargain collectively with their employees. Um, There are differing views about the extent to which NLRB oversight would result in undue interference with the freedom of Catholic institutions to carry out their religious mission. My own personal view is that in the case of adjunct faculty, it would not. But whatever you think about that issue, there is something, at least to me, deeply troubling about using religious freedom as a shield to allow Catholics and colleges and universities to treat their adjunct employees just as bad as secular institutions do. I mean, there's just a problem uh, with that. That issue's obviously gotten a lot of press lately because of some recent cases. Um, where the NLRB has determined it as jurisdiction over Catholic colleges. um, And it'll be interesting to see how that issue promotes. Um, The the second is, um, it's difficult to characterize the compensation paid to Catholic parish and parochial school employees as a just wage. Um, In New York City, the highest pay that can be earned by a teacher in a Catholic parochial school is $60,000, with maximum pensions uh, half that amount. In contrast, New York City public school teachers can reach a maximum of $100,000 salary. Um, Nationally, Catholic school teachers earn less than 80% of the market range wage, and that's the sort of thing that gives rise to the complaint that the church's social teaching on labor relations don't seem to apply um, to the Catholic Church in paying its employees. Um, similarly, lay workers in Catholic parishes are paid less than a just wage. According to one recent survey, the average salary of full-time ministers was thirty-five thousand um, dollars. For many, that means barely making a living. Um, not only are wages low, but a number of parishes in or, or dioceses, I should say. Um, in recent years have made headlines by terminating pension plans or forcing layouts with inadequate buyout packages. Um, And churches and religious organizations are exempt from the requirement to pay unemployment uh, taxes. So unless a church voluntarily establishes an unemployment um, program, then its terminated employees receive no unemployment compensation. Well, the defense is the claim that Catholic schools and parishes can't afford to pay more than they do. Um, That's not all that compelling to a small employer who's being criticized for not paying his employees um, a minimum wage. Uh, Speaking about economic challenges in Wisconsin a couple years ago, Archbishop Jerome Listeski of Milwaukee said that hard times do not nullify the moral obligation each of us has to respect the legitimate rights of workers. Um, It's hard to understand why the same standard should not then be applied to um, the church. those concerns are aggravated when people see large expenditures being made to build opulent churches, and I'm not taking the position on whether that's justified or not, or lots of money being spent for retirement residences for archbishops, or being hurt, told that Catholic hospitals are paying exorbitant pay to its executives. Um, the failure to practice what you, what you preach is a common criticism. Um, that is made. And some church leaders have recognized that difficulty. I mean, for example, during the the push for a living wage in Rochester, New York in 2000, um, the bishop and the vicar general there did not publicly support the living wage for precisely that reason, um, because they realized that many church employees and teacher aides were not earning a living and they did not want to appear um, hypocritical. Um, The third thing, um, and I won't talk a lot about this because we all read newspapers, but I think one of the things that gets a lot of publicity when people are thinking about the church and its capacity as employer um, are terminations of employees that don't seem justifiable to many lay people. Um, And, for example, there was a school, I'll just give a couple of examples, a school in California last year, a a Catholic school that fired a teacher who was a victim of domestic violence um, because of the claim that her presence threatened the safety of students. So we take a victim of a crime and take away her ability to raise um, her family. Um, A Catholic Medical Center in Providence firing a nurse for taking maternity leave allegations of discrimination based on national origin um, against Catholic employers, something that um, Cardinal George has acknowledged has been a problem, discrimination against Hispanic employees and and so on. Um, And it may be that the church ought to be protected from legal suit in any of these cases, um, but they're still things that minimize the persuasive appeal of the church's teaching. And, And to be clear, I'm not suggesting that the church's failure to live up to its own teaching when its act an, acts as an employer renders its teaching unimportant. Um, but I am suggesting that the church needs to do a better job of keeping its own house in order if it wishes to be persuasive in telling others what they must do. Notwithstanding these limitations, I think Catholic social thought has and can continue to make important contributions to achieving greater justice in the area of wages. Um, the fact that there are many who question the teaching authority of the Catholic Church or the Church's standing to make claims about what employers and the government should and should not do does not mean the Catholic social teaching in this area has been or must be irrelevant. Um, first, the language of Catholic social thought has had a significant effect in the framing of the living wage movement. Um, as my earlier discussion suggests, Catholic thought offers a theology of dignity and respect, one that challenges the long-held assumption in capitalism that workers are merely commodities. That theology has influenced the approach of the living wage movement, shaping what Melissa Snor calls a form of discursive activism that reworks our conception of how the world should be normatively structured. And the language of Catholic social teaching has been part of the success of the living wage movement. Snar writes, consistently throughout my research on municipal living wage campaigns, lead organizers told me that their victories often came through sticking to the moral high ground, rather than arguing numbers, such as how the living wage was calculated, what the cost to various institutions would be, et cetera. They continually emphasized values of fairness, hard work, and just wages. Taking their cue from the living wage movement at the turn of the century and Father John Ryan's writings on the living wage, they argued that those who work full time should be able to support their families without relying on government subsidies. Anything less was an insult to the dignity of work, the dignity of the worker, and was a double burden on taxpayers. So the language of Catholic social thought introducing not only the concept of human dignity, um, moving us away from the idea that this is about handouts, um, but also that of the common good. And I think that latter, the common good, can be a useful aid in discourse because the living wage not only promotes human dignity, um, but the living wage movement has done a lot to help revitalize local communities. So the language of co- Catholic social thought, I think, then is an important aid in combating the get more for less mentality. That is encouraged by a secular system that sees the relationship between employer and employee as based solely on contract and makes a case for a norm of fairness um, rather than a market norm. Um, Second, religious coalitions have been a fundamental part of the living wage movement in the United States. Uh, Spurred by the teaching of of the church, Catholic entities such as the Catholic Campaign for Human Development and Catholic Charities have been players along with members of a number of other faith traditions. Um, And finally, the teachings of the Catholic Church um, should um, have a direct impact on at least some Catholic employers. Um, Jim Martin uh, in a US Catholic conference blog not long ago addressed the question of what people can do to help address income inequality, and he suggested three points, one of which was pay a just wage. Um, He wrote, if you were in any decision-making position in a company, you might ask yourself a version of the Golden Rule. Are you paying your employees what you would want to be paid for that job? My own view is that the church could be more emphatic in speaking directly to Catholic business leaders on this issue. Um, perhaps those conversations are taking place, but in a private setting, not visible to the rest of us. But, but I'm guessing there's more that can be done to make clear that this is not optionable, optional, but is a requirement of our faith. Um, And finally, the same can be said for greater efforts to impact the behavior of Catholics in their capacities as consumers. Encouraging Catholics and others to make direct consumer choices based on conversations about just wage, getting them to avoid companies that don't pay a just wage, should be part of our efforts to advance Catholic teachings in this area. Um, A Forbes article last April suggested that a contributing factor to the fact that Costco's then most recent quarterly earnings showed a 5% rise in sales compared to a 1.2% rise for Walmart, Costco's primary competitor, was that Costco pays nearly all of its employees a decent living well in excess of the minimum wage, while Walmart continues to pay its workers as if its employees, uh, this is a a quote from uh, them, as if their employees don't actually need to eat more than once a week, live in an enclosed space, or on occasion take their kids to see a doctor. Um, Whether the rise um, was actually due to um, the fact that low pay beats bad service or consumers rewarding Costco is not clear, but Catholic consumers can be taught to use their consumer power to promote change. Um, Some of those choices will cost consumers more. Um, To take the example of the food industry, I think Michael Pollan is correct in saying that when we buy cheap food, the real cost of that food has been externalized. Um, In his words, those externalized costs have always included labor. It is only the decline over time of the minimum wage in real dollars that's made the fast food industry possible, along with feedlot agriculture, pharmaceuticals on the farm, pesticides, and regulatory forbearance. All these things are part of the answer to the question, why is this crap, his word, not mine, why is this crap so cheap? Our food is dishonestly priced. One of the ways in which it is dishonestly priced is the fact that people are not paid a living wage to process, to serve it, to grow it, to slaughter it. Um, And I think part of the church's role here is helping people to see the immorality of reaping the benefit of artificially low food prices and the expense, at the expense of the ability of their brothers and sisters to earn a living. um, To help them accept that they might have to be willing to accept paying more for their food to internalize the true cost of their food so others can earn enough to live. And I think each of these points suggests that, notwithstanding the limitations of which I spoke earlier, uh, the teachings of the Catholic Church have a lot to contribute Um, to our efforts to secure a just economy and more specifically a just wage for workers. Thank you.